It is exciting to be with all of you this morning and to dive into God's word this morning. Perhaps you've heard the one about three men who worked in the Empire State Building on the 102nd floor. One day, their elevator went out of service, and so they had to walk up 102 flights of stairs all the way to the top at their workplace. And as they started on this long journey, they got creative on how they were supposed to pass the time, each, each one taking a turn every three floors to entertain the trio. And the first man might be a man similar to some of your friends, some, someone who is always singing songs, like a living radio. He would be constantly singing hits from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and so on. And as the men continued up the flights of stairs, he would sing songs like Don't Stop Believing," Living on a Prayer, and Dream On as they got to the top. And eventually, on the 91st floor, he ran out of songs and ended on the song, The Final Countdown. But the second man was far different. You see, he prided himself on being an amateur comedian, and according to his kids, specialized in corny dad jokes. And as he got a chance to share with the group every third floor, he tried telling knock-knock jokes, puns, jokes about the boss, all these different things, but he eventually ran out of jokes on the 76th floor, ending on a joke about elevator repairmen, much to their circumstance. And the last man was far different. He was a sad soul. And every third floor, he would tell a sad story. He shared things from his childhood. He shared missed opportunities in life. And so much so that the men almost thought about ushering him into the counselor on floor 85, but decided against it. But as they finally reached the top, the top floor on floor 102, and as they came to the door of their office, the sad soul, the sad gentleman, decided to share one last story with them. He said to them, fellas, have you ever heard the story of the three men who walked 102 flights of stairs only to realize one had forgot the key? <laughs> I relate a lot to this story because I'm particularly forgetful. And forgetfulness can be particularly problematic when it comes to our walk with God. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And as we look at that passage of scripture, we're going to discover that obedience sometimes comes through remembrance. And that's the title for our message this morning, Obedience Through Remembrance. And I want to give you a little preview of where we're going so that you don't get lost in the midst of it. We're going to be looking at three main points this morning. The first one being, remember God's present calling for you. The second being, remember God's past faithfulness to you. And remember God's future goal for you. Now, we're going to go through the sermon as well, and we're going to highlight them again. So if you miss them, that's okay. We're going to go through them in order as we get through it. But for those of you who don't know, Deuteronomy is somewhat different than the book of Corinthians. It is in an entirely different context, a different time, a different location. Everything is different, but the same God that is at work in the lives of the Corinthians is at work in Deuteronomy. Amen? Amen. So to give you a little bit of context, if you're not familiar with the people of Israel that are following after God, you have to understand a little bit about their background. Israel was founded by a man named Abraham because God called him from his land in Mesopotamia and told him that he would make him into a nation and would bless his offspring and give them a land. And yet the descendants of Abraham later on found themselves in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, slaves to the Pharaoh and under his oppression. And yet God decided to send a deliverer named Moses who led the people out of Egypt and led them into the Sinai wilderness, which is on a peninsula in between Israel and Egypt in the middle of the wilderness. And there God entered into a covenant with the people that he had called out of Egypt. He entered into a covenant with them, affirming that he would be their God and they would be his people. And this is where they received those, the Ten Commandments and the law in this time. And if you remember from maybe your time growing up as a, as, a, as a young person, you might remember the plaque of the Ten Commandments, and this is where that came from. And yet, after this time in the wilderness, God commanded for them to go and take possession of the Promised Land, to go into the land of Israel. And yet, instead of going into the land and trusting God, remember what happened? They rebelled against the Lord. They doubted him, and they said, we will not go into the Lord. And because of that, God caused that generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation had passed away and a new generation had come up that he would bring into the land of Israel. And at the end of those 40 years, it, it's close to the end of Moses' life. 
And he gives a section of speeches to the people of Israel on the plains of Moab, across from the lands of Israel, right before they go into the promised land. And that is the context of Deuteronomy this morning. It's not just a book that's an obscure Old Testament reference. I didn't try to go and find some random law in the Old Testament and pull that out and apply it to today. Deuteronomy has rich wisdom for us here today because it is for a new generation and how they're supposed to walk in obedience to God in the new circumstance that they're going to find themselves in. And with that background, let's pray for God to bless our time this morning and then we'll dive into our time in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we are able to study it, Lord, freely. We thank you that we have it in our own language. We thank you that you have blessed us in so many different ways, Lord, in so many ways that we might not even realize. And we pray that this morning, Lord, that you would bless this message, that you would bless your word, and you would allow it to glorify your name and edify your people. Amen. Now, as I said, we're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's the fifth book from the beginning. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book, and if you use our pew Bible in the uh, pews in front of you, it's on page 194. And again, we're starting in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Moses, speaking to the congregation, says this. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In verse 4, your clothing did not wear out, and your foot did not swell these 40 years in the wilderness. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, a land flowing out in the hills and valleys, a land of wheat and of barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and of honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land in whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God, though. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and, multi- and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through this great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. And beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, as I said, the title for our sermon is Obedience Through Remembrance. And again, this is addressed to the people of Israel right as they're about to go into the promised land. And as you read Deuteronomy, it's a set of speeches given by Moses. So it sounds like a sermon when you read it. It's not something that's dry. It's very applicable. And again, we're going to be pulling several different points out this morning. And the first one is this. Remember God's present calling for you. Remember God's present calling for you. Look with me again at verse 1. It says, the whole commandment that I command you today, not part of it, not some of it, not the parts that you like, not the parts that you don't like, but the whole commandment that I command to you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply. And likewise, verse 6 also speaks to this. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. 
And as Moses is commanding these things, he's talking to the Israelites that they are to be faithful to the Mosaic covenant that they received from God, that they had entered into to be God's people and him to be their God, that they would be faithful to God, that they were not just to look at portions of the law, but the entirety of it and to be faithful to it. And this new generation is a new generation because it did not see the deliverance in Egypt. They did not, they were not there. They came into being along the way in those years in the wilderness. And so they were not able to look back and to see all those things that God had done for his people. And yet, that's one of the reasons I've always loved Deuteronomy. Because it is almost like a final send-off from Moses to the people. And as I was thinking about that, it's kind of similar to perhaps a way that we might give a send-off or words of wisdom to a young man or a young woman when they come to the end of high school. Or they come to the end of their time at home and they go and they go off and get married or they go and they join the service. They go into college. And at the end of that time, your time as parents is, as your time as parents is finished and you're looking to bless them and to hope that they would walk in the ways that you have raised them in so that they would continue to be faithful to what you have taught them. And it's similar to what God is commanding through Moses to the people of Israel here. He's saying to them, not in their present circumstance, but in the future, you're supposed to walk in the way of the Lord. You're supposed to be faithful to him and seek him when you go into this land that God is about to give you. And that's a more challenging thing because it's easy to say that we should follow after God in our current circumstance. But once we are off on our own, once if you're a young person, once you go off into college, once you go out of your home, once you have independence and you have autonomy in that circumstance, that is when your heart is tested. It's not when someone is over, is over your shoulder looking at what you're doing, but it is rather when you are out on your own and you are in a moment where you can choose what you want to do. And in a similar light, Moses is not going to be with Israel when they go into the promised land. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses passes away, and Joshua is raised up as a leader to lead them into the promised land. And Moses is saying these things because he's not going to be with them, and yet he is hoping that they would walk in these ways and follow after God. And yet, as we look at this this morning, it's a good thing that forgetfulness is something that is only applicable to Israel back then, right? It's a good thing that forgetfulness is not something that you and I deal with day in and day out, or perhaps within every single hour, if you're someone with a memory like mine. But that's one of the reasons that this text is so applicable to us, because just like Israel, we too have a present calling that we should look to adhere to in our lives. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant, we are under the dispensation of grace under Jesus Christ. But we too should look to be faithful to God and to live out our present calling as we seek to love Jesus. And, a several, and several applications I want to give you this morning from our present calling. One of them is, that is the greatest commandment that, that God gave to us. In, in Jesus' time here on the earth, in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the religious leaders asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says this in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said and responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. This is what Jesus responds when they say, what is the greatest commandment that we should look to adhere to? The greatest thing that we should focus on. And he responds by saying that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. With our entire being, we are to love God and have everything that we have be faithful to him and love him to the best of our ability with all of our being. And yet, that might sound like an easy thing because just telling someone to go and love God might sound easy. And yet, it's a choice to love God. And that choice to love and follow after God is usually contrasted with other things. We have a choice whether or not we will love and follow God and seek him, and that's usually contrasted with whether or not we're going to instead follow after ourselves and our desires and what we would rather do instead of what God has called us to do. Are we going to choose to love and follow after God above all else, or are we going to love something else or someone else more than God, whether that be something that is good or something that isn't good in our lives? Is God the one that we love with all of our being, or is he just a piece of our life that we are grateful to have, but not at the center of it? Brothers and sisters, if we ask ourselves the question, what is the highest priority in our lives, that what are we loving above all else? It should be, and it must be Christ if we are call ourselves Christians. It must be Christ, it must be him that we love with all of our being above all other things. God never settles for second place in our life. Either he's our Lord or he's lacking in our life. There's no in-between. And yet Christ also calls us to do some things different than Israel. One of those things is the Great Commission. If you 
If you have a moment, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28 for a moment. Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. And Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, before he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father, one of the last things that he does is he gives a great commission, recorded at the end of several of the Gospels. The most famous one is in Matthew, and it's in this reference right here, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in this reference, we see that Christ is commissioning out Christians to go and to make disciples in the world. And this is almost similar to the way that Moses is encouraging the people of Israel to go into the land and walk in faithfulness to God. But instead of us having a mentality of people coming and seeing us, we are going and telling people about Jesus Christ. We are commissioned, we are sent out into the world, not just to make converts, but to make disciples, people who are Christ followers, who obey the things that God has commanded us and teaching them to obey all that he has given us in our lives. And that is something that you don't have to cross oceans in order to do. A lot of times when we think about making disciples, we think that you have to go to Africa or Asia or the Middle East, or you have to go to these far-off places in order to make disciples. But what about in our own context? God has called us to make disciples, not just people who are missionaries, not just people who are pastors, but all of us who call ourselves by the name Christian. We are called to make disciples. And that could be in our very own homes. That could be with your children. That could be with family, uh, family relatives. That could be maybe your parents for some of you. It could be others in your extended family. But are we looking to make Christ in those areas of our life? Are we looking to testify to God, to teach people about following after God so that maybe a relative or maybe when your son and daughter asks you, why do you believe in Jesus? You have a reason behind it that you are able to give to them for why you have a belief in a Savior who loves you. Making disciples is not something that we have to go far across the world to do. And yet it could be something even beyond that. For many of us, we're in the workplace every single week. And we might see that as a restriction for us being able to share Christ. But I work here at the church. Sean works here at the church. And through a lot of our jobs and our connections throughout the week, you're able to touch the lives of many people that we won't. You're able to share the gospel and represent Christ in your life to many people who might not come to a church, and the best gospel that they see might be your life. You see that we are called to all make disciples and to represent Christ in all that we do, not just those that we might think of as missionaries or pastors. And yet when it comes to that idea of the Great Commission, are we living that out in our lives day in and day out? And that could be for you young people, it could be in your schools that you're working with. For those it could be, for others of you, it could be in your workplace. It could be as you're going throughout the community, maybe neighbors that you interact with or maybe those that you meet as you go on the way to the store or places that you often go to. Are we making the disciples of Jesus Christ and are we testifying to God in all circumstances? Are we doing these things? And yet for us as New Testament believers, our goal is not a numbered quota. Our goal is not a checklist that we would just hand to God as our report card and say, here is what I've done. Check it all off because I'm good. Instead, what we are supposed to do is to have a focus and an ambition above all else, and that is to glorify God in all circumstances. You and I are called to glorify God in all circumstances, in our life, in our word, in our deed, and what we do. I want to give you several different uh, references that you can remember that by. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. We're not there yet in our, passage, in our sermon series in Corinthians, but we'll eventually get there. But it says this. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God so that he might be the one who gets the focus and the glory and the praise for everything that we do in our lives. Likewise, Paul also writes to the, to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.17, another great reference to write down. Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And even to the church at Philippi, when Paul is under house arrest, when he is writing to them in Philippians 1.21, one of the things that he writes is this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
for me to live is Christ. If I'm here in this world, it is for me to glorify Christ above all else and to focus on him in everything that I do. And if I die, then I, it is gain to me because I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet for us in our current context, are we looking to glorify God all throughout the week in every area of our lives? Are we spending every waking moment thinking of God's kingdom and his opportunities to further it, or are we looking for our own agendas? Are we looking for a set of rules to get checked off by God, or are we instead looking to glorify him in every circumstance? And yet, remembering our present calling is not everything because of the fact that God is at work in generations beyond ours. God has been at work in generations far before us, and God will be in generations for many to come. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. Roman numeral two this morning is this. Remember God's past faithfulness to you. Remember God's past faithfulness to you. And I want to look back at Deuteronomy chapter eight, looking at verses two through four. Moses, when he exhorts the congregation, he says this, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. They had just come out of this time in the wilderness where it was not an easy thing. It wasn't like a hike out through like maybe an area in the southwest United States. They were living there and refugees basically wandering for 40 years with God guiding them. And that he did this that, they, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And during this time, your clothing did not wear out and your foot did not swell for these 40 years. In verses 15 and 16 also express a similar idea, to look back and to remember what God has done in his past faithfulness. The Lord who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Israel is called to actively remember these things because remember, this is a generation, it's a new generation, and they're walking in, in, in obedience to God and they're about to go into the promised land. But if they start wondering what happens to those when we don't follow after God, they're able to see the previous, uh, the previous generations as they perished in the wilderness and they weren't able to go into the promised land. And yet, all through those years of their time in the wilderness, God was still able to work through them and provide for them. At the end of the book of Numbers, there's a huge sentence that is taken of all the military men who are 20 years old and upwards. If you're somebody here today and you're a man who's, say, 20 to 60, I want you to go ahead and put your hand up. So if you're, a, if you're doing a census, go ahead and put your hand up. If you're 20 to 60, at that point, right? Right there. So if we're doing a census, that would be kind of like what we're doing. But they did a similar thing in the book of Numbers. And the number of men who were able and fit to serve in the military was about 601,730 people. That's a lot of people. That's not counting those who are younger and those who are older, those who are the mothers and the sisters and, the, and all the different people who are also not in that age group. And that's a huge group of people. And I want you to think for a second. When you make food for a family reunion, is it complicated sometimes, planning for all the family coming in? Yeah, it is. And yet, can you imagine the logistics of trying to provide food and water for hundreds of thousands of people in a wilderness where there's very little farmable land and there's very little water? That would be quite a challenge. Why would God bring them into the wilderness? Why would God do that? Why would God provide in that situation? Because when they were in Egypt, they were not doubting God's provision. They were able to eat food in abundance. When they were in the wilderness, they longed to go back to Egypt because it was such a land of abundance. But in the wilderness, it was clear that God was providing for them, that God was the one who was nourishing them in other circumstances where they might forget about that because they were in a circumstance where if God did not provide, they would have perished. And yet God came through, and he gave them water, and he gave them manna from heaven, he gave them bread from heaven, and he was able to provide for them so that at the end of that time, they were able to look back on that time and without question say, God is the one who provided for us, because if he did not, we would have perished and no one would have provided for us. But when it comes to us in our lives, attributing things happening in the way that we are blessed, do we remember God is the one who's providing for us, or do we often count it to other circumstances and other people? I'll never forget a time when, um, when I was in uh, high school, and uh, I was very close with my youth pastor at the time. We used to spend Tuesday studying the scriptures and praying together, and it was a very encouraging time. And after about a year or so when I was in high school, he ended up moving away, actually, to Singapore from Beijing, where I was at in high school. And if you've ever had a friend move away, it's a sad thing, right? But 
luckily enough, we had a thing called Skype. So we used to Skype each other back and forth to stay in touch, and it was a wonderful thing. But I'll never, remember, I'll never forget one day that I woke up before going to school on a, on a school day, and I hear this really loud and extra obnoxious knock at my door. And I think to myself, who is knocking so loud at this hour and it's not even time to be able to get ready for school. So I crawl out of my bed, and if you see me in the morning, I'm a zombie, basically, and I walk up towards the door, and as I'm about to open up the, do the door handle and open up the door, the door opens up, and my mentor, John, he sticks his head out, and he says, hey, man, are you free to Skype today? And I was so disoriented from the morning that I was completely confused because in my, in my brain I was thinking, this man lives in Singapore. We're not in Singapore. He can't be here. But looking right in front of me, he was right there. And after I woke up a little bit, I got a chance to realize what was happening, that he had flown up all the way from Singapore to Beijing to visit me. And it was such a blessing to be able to have him in my life for that reunion at that time. And I remember thanking him at breakfast, saying, hey, thanks so much for coming up and spending this time with me. And at the end of the time, he said, no, it's not me that put this together. It was your dad. He was the one who did this for a situation, for a blessing for a birthday, actually. And I remember thinking, man, that's such a blessing, such a blessing to have that. But as I was thinking about that story in relation to our text, how often do we do the same thing for not our earthly fathers, but our heavenly father? How often do we look to give the credit that should go to God and give it to other circumstances or give it to other people and say, they're the ones, or this is the thing that provided for me or allowed me to go well, instead of realizing that God is the one who provides for us and that every good and perfect gift, as James says, comes from him and not from our circumstances. And yet, we're so quick to assume how events unfold, and we're very quick to forget to remember what God has done for us and the past faithfulness for us in our lives. And yet, as believers, it's easy for us, if you've grown up in church like me, if you've grown up in church like me, it's easy for you to kind of maybe think about your life and forget about God's past faithfulness to you and forget about what God has saved us from. And one scripture I want to share with you is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And it addresses us to remember as believers what we were saved from. And it says this in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are united with him. But how often do we remember the fact that without God intervening, we were without him in the world? That without his direct intervention in our lives we would still be in our sins apart from him. And yet, not only that, how often do we maybe forget the fact that God has been at work in the Jewish people long before us? Another passage I want you to ponder on is Romans eleven eighteen. Romans eleven eighteen 18 says this, Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Most of us are not from a Jewish background here. We're from a Gentile background, meaning non-Jewish. And God has graciously allowed all Gentiles to be able to be included into his plan of salvation and not just a certain particular people group. Do we remember that or are we arrogant in that fact? And not only that, but one last scripture cross-reference for you. 2 Timothy 2.8. Towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, before he is martyred for the faith, he writes this to, to his protege Timothy in Timothy 2, chapter 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Are we remembering Christ and what he is and who he is and what his work has done for us? When was the last time that you took a moment to not think about all the things that God has done in your life or the many different ways that he has blessed you, but to think simply about the fact that if you're a Christian, God has saved you from your sins and he graciously has paid for your debt in full through his death on the cross? These are profound truths that we must not forget. And yet, when it comes to walking with God, we easily forget things, yes, and we need to remember the past, and we need to understand our current circumstances and what we're called to do. But what about the future? The future is something that always intrigues people. It's always something that's on our minds. And yet, in this passage in Deuteronomy, the majority of the text is dealing with what the future will be for the people of Israel. 
And that brings us to our third main point this morning. Roman numeral three, remember God's future goal for you. Remember God's future goal for you. Again, there's a shift here in verses seven through 20 from remember your current calling and remember what your past faithfulness is to looking at everything in light of where you're going into the promised land. And yet there's many truths that are applicable to us in our current context as well. And there's a lot in these verses and because of that, we're gonna have several different subpoints. So we're gonna look at four different subpoints. And the first one is this, subpoint. A in your outline this morning. Remember the blessings for faithfulness. Remember the blessings for faithfulness. Now look with me again at Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 7. Look at verse 7 and what it says. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and of fountains and springs, flowing out in the, vil- in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and of barley, of vines and of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land in whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you." You see that God is outlining in this passage, he's talking about the good land. Israel is not getting something that is just a backwater or something that is a bad place to settle down. He is giving to them a good land, the same land that he promised to give to their forefather Abraham, that he might give it to his offspring and they might settle it. And it's an abundant blessing. But for us, a lot of times we look at that and we say, okay, I understand that. But for most of us, inheriting a land or an entire country is not something that we think about. It's not something that's very applicable to us. But what about buying a house? That's something that's applicable to many of us. That's something that you either have done or you're going to need wisdom and understanding for how to do in the future. Because if you buy a house, what are some things that you want from that house? You want it to be in a good location, right? You want it to have a short commute to work. You want it to have an excellent school district if you have kids in that area. You want to have nearby maybe community parks so that it's not just in the midst of an urban eyesore. You want to make sure that it's in a safe neighborhood, a place that you actually are comfortable in, that you would enjoy being able to come and to get to know your neighbors and not have to worry about your safety. Maybe the thing that you would want is having a washer and dryer inside so you won't have to take your laundry and haul it out to a laundromat and put some quarters in a machine every single time a week. Or even some things like that. And for all of you, I'm sure that there's a long list of things that you other, other things that you would want in a perfect house. But parallel that idea of a perfect house to idea of a good land that God is providing for his people. And you see that God is not providing for them a bad thing. But as they walk in covenant obedience, as they walk in faithfulness to God, God is promising to provide them a good land that he would, that he would allow them to flourish in. And yet... In our current circumstances, we are in a different covenant. We are, we are in a different covenant. We're in the New Testament, and we're not living in the land of Israel. We're not in the same situation. But the same truth of a blessing for faithfulness still occurs in our lives. And many people a lot of times like to look at that as material blessings, and that's not what I'm focusing on. That's not the case. Following after God does not guarantee material blessings. But when we take our lives and we build them around the truth of God and we focus on God and we make him the center of our life and we walk in faithfulness before us, there's one major thing that is a blessing to us, that we are living in the way that we were meant. Because you and I are a people who are made not just by chance, not just by something coming to, into existence, that you and I are created by God in the image of God and meant to glorify God. So that means that when you and I walk in obedience to God, we are living out the job description that God meant for us. That means that when we are living at full capacity, it means that we are living in God's word, we are living according to his ways, we are living in a relationship with him, and we are living in faithfulness to him as we go through life. You can take something and you can use it not according to its description. My old youth pastor used to say that you can take a hammer and it makes an excellent doorstop, but that's not what it's meant for. It's meant for hammering and nails. And the same is true for us as people. We can do a lot of things. We can do many different things in life. But the greatest thing that we can do, us firing on all cylinders, us at our maximum potential, what we are hardwired for, what we are pre-programmed to do, is to walk in obedience before God and have a relationship with him. And that's one of the greatest blessings that we can have when we walk in faithfulness before God. And I want to give you two examples of that. Two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Because a lot of times we think, okay, well, is that really something that is blessing? Is that something that is worth it? If you go and you look at Psalm 1, the introduction to all the Psalms, it talks about a man who has his delight in the law of the Lord, and he meditates upon it day and night. And the scripture compares him to being a tree that is planted by a river, that is flourishing, that is nourished, and is able to bring forth fruit in its season, because it is constantly being nourished by the river. 
And that same thing is true for us when we are walking in a relationship with Christ and when we are meditating on God's word and walking in obedience to God. As we do that, we will be nourished in our soul. We will have life as we go through our circumstances and we will be able to endure all of the different events that come our life because we are nourished by God and we are not dependent on our reaction to our circumstances. And a similar truth is put forth by Jesus in the New Testament. When Jesus has a sermon on the mountain, he talks about all these different things from the Old Testament law as well as New Testament teachings in that time. One of the things he talks about as a comparison is a man building his house upon the rock and a man building his house upon the sand. And in that time, when he describes that, Christ says that those who build their house upon the rock are those people who hear these words of Christ and do them will be like one who builds their house upon the rock. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and the rain beat down, but the house did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. And that's similar to us when we build our life upon Christ. When we build our life on other things apart from Christ, it might stand for a time, it might be able to endure for a season, but when the floods and the wind and the rain comes, which comes to both men in, that, in that passage of Scripture, only one of them is able to endure because it was founded on a sure foundation. As we go through life and we are able to walk in obedience to God and walk in faithfulness to him, with him as our rock, with him as our foundation, with him as our nourishment, we're able to endure life as well as experience the abundant life that we were meant for. And that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ in our lives. And every faithful believer that I've known over the years has longed to hear one thing when they stand before God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Several weeks ago, Pastor Sean talked about future uh, blessings uh, for us in Corinthians, and that's something that's true as well. The life that we live now as Christians does matter because one day we'll have to give an account for it to God and we'll be rewarded for our faithfulness before Christ. And yet, not all of us will walk in faithfulness as we know from Israel's history at different times and different circumstances. And that brings us to subpoint B under Roman numeral three. Subpoint B under Roman numeral three is remember the proclivity to forget. Remember the proclivity to forget. Look with me again at verse 6 in our passage this morning. Deuteronomy 8, 6. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his way and by fearing him. But then verse 11 says this. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Moses knew that as he was exhorting and encouraging this new generation as they were about to go into the land, he knew that they had a tendency to forget. He knew that they had had a tendency in their history to rebel against the ways of the Lord and to not follow him in faithfulness. And he addresses this in verses 11 through 14, saying, be careful in case you forget. Because if we forget about God, there are consequences. There are things that happen. And at the end of Deuteronomy, right next to verse 11, I encourage you to write in your Bibles, Deuteronomy 31:29. Deuteronomy 31:29. Because at the end of Deuteronomy, after Moses has addressed the people of Israel and he is about to die and he's about to send them off into the land and Joshua is about to be their new leader and they're about to go into the land, he says this about them in Deuteronomy 31:29. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I've commanded you. And in the days to come evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. And this is again addressed to the future when Israel is about to go into the promised land. Moses knows their tendency to forget. And he knows their tendency to walk in disobedience. And he knows that most likely when he is gone, when the strong leader is gone, that the people are going to wander off in disobedience and rebellion against God. And he's cautioning them to not forget the truths of God. For Israelites, it wasn't a lack of knowledge. They had heard the law. They had had it preached to them. And then when they went into the land, that's when they started to have rebellion and to walk away from the Lord. And yet, it is usually in our lives not a lack of knowledge that we go astray. It's usually the tendency that we have to forget about God and his work and his ways and our need for him. And it's interesting enough that usually the challenging times are the times that we remember God. Remember when we were talking about the time in the wilderness, those hundreds and thousands of maybe even millions of people in the wilderness and providing for them. It was easy for them to see in that time that God was the one providing for them. It was easy for them to see that God is the one that was giving them daily nourishment because if he did not provide, who would in that situation? And yet, when we usually forget God, 
is usually when things are going so well that we forget that we need God in our lives. We think that we can do it all by ourselves. You notice that Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance when they were in bondage to Egypt. You notice that God provided for them when they were in need, and you saw that God's miraculous power was evident in their life when their destruction was imminent, if they were to pass away from famine. And yet, with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. What if God never allowed any misfortune to happen to you ever? What if, whenever you had to work with technology, it always worked seamlessly and as you expect it? What if every time you had to go to an important meeting or you had something that you had to be at, you never had engine trouble, a flat tire, run out of gas, fill in the blank. You never had anything go wrong. What if everything went according to the way that you would expect it? What if everything went according to what you hope would happen? What if you never had a falling out with a friend and you never had bickering among siblings and you never had a disagreement in a marriage? If everything went according to the way that you might hope your life would turn out, would that cause you to seek God more? Or would you forget about God more because your circumstances were so good? You see the connection there? Now, this doesn't mean that as Christians we're supposed to go around looking for problems and looking for different situations, but it is a perspective that we should have to see that God is at work sometimes behind the trials and challenges that we have. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. That's a difficult thing to live out. Count it all joy whenever you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He's talking about trials, not temptations. But when we go through trials, God is able to work in our lives. And sometimes it reminds us of our need for God and for his provision in our life, despite the circumstances. And you see a similar thing expressed in our passage in Deuteronomy 8, 16, where it says, Who fed you, God fed you in the wilderness with man that your fathers did not know, and that he might humble you and test you. But at the end of that sentence, it says, to do you good in the end. God wasn't just raising these things up without meaning, without purpose, without hope, without reason. He did them so that he might do them good in the end. And we see that good can come out of challenges. And yet when we encounter challenges to life, how do we view them? Do we view them as inconveniences in our lives? Or do we perhaps pause and think for a moment and wonder, what is God maybe doing behind this? What is God trying to get my attention with? What is God perhaps doing through this situation? And yet... This proclivity to forget is usually driven by something, and it's usually driven by a lie of self-sufficiency. And that brings us to sub-point C in our outline this morning. Remember the dangerous deficiency of self-sufficiency. Remember the dangerous deficiency of self-sufficiency. Verses 14 and 17 address this point. Verse 14 says, Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And verse 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see the thought that Moses is conveying there? A focus on self being the one who provides for us in our circumstances. And usually in our times of forgetfulness, we don't lack to trust in God. We just shift our trust from God to something else. And oftentimes, that's ourselves and our abilities and what we can do in life. And under... And under uh, the covenant with God and through God's work with his people, we see that God is able to provide for them. He delivers them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And yet, when we rely on ourselves and we stop seeking God, problems happen. In the book of Deuteronomy, again, one of the reasons I love this book is because of the fact that it outlines what's going to happen in the future. It talks about the past, it deals with the present, and it also talks about the future, the exile, the return from the exile. God's judgment and blessing upon Israel is all outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. And at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, it outlines very clearly the difference between the blessings for obedience and the consequences for disobedience. It's almost like you're teaching a kid who thinks they know everything, and they're like, okay, yeah, no, I understand things. And you tell them, if you do this, here's the consequence that's going to happen. And if you do do this, here's the reward that's going to happen. It lays it out very clearly so there's no misunderstanding. And yet, in Israel's times of rebellion, they usually rely on themselves, they usually forget about God, and they usually rely on their own ability to go through circumstances rather than relying on God in their circumstances. And another illustration of this is in the book of Daniel. For those of you who remember, we, were, we went through the book of Daniel last year in Calvary Kids Bible Camp, and we were able to get a lot of great truths from that book and from the prophet. And yet, one of the truths we didn't have time to get to because there's a lot in the book of Daniel was about a time where Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. You might recognize this statement from the book of Dan- Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar saying, Is this not great Babylon? which I have built, 
by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Can you hear the arrogance behind that? You hear the arrogance and self-sufficiency? He thinks he is the center of the entire world. If you, if you read the book of Daniel, do you remember what happens after that? God drives him out from among men to eat grass like an ox of the field for seven years until all that time has elapsed. And when he comes back, it is revealed to him that God is the one who appoints people into power. And he is able to give it to anyone he chooses. God is in control even when we sometimes think that we have everything in our hands. There's a dangerous deficiency in relying on our own self-sufficiency. And yet, who do we recognize as the one who gives us our abilities in our life? For us today, week in, week out. For our experience, for our skills, for our work in life. Do we praise ourselves and our own abilities? Do we glory in the greatness that we have gained? Or do we ever commandeer God's triumphs and use them for our own tribute in life rather than giving glory to God? Or do we instead look to work with all of our might, with all of our diligence, to the best of our ability, but at the end of the day say, God is the one who should get the glory, because he's the one who enabled me to do all of these things. God is the one who is providing for Israel at work in them, and he is the one who is still at work in our lives today, and he should get the glory from our lives, not us, at the end of the day. And yet, if we walk through this line of thinking, if we think about the people who are forgetting about God and relying on themselves, what's going to happen if we continue down that line of thinking? What's going to happen at the end of that time? And Moses addresses this in 18 and 20 of this passage, verses 18 and 20 at the end of this passage. And that brings us to sub-point D in our outline this morning. Sub-point D, remember the dangerous destiny of the forgetful. Remember the dangerous destiny of the forgetful. Verse 18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and you go after other gods, and you serve them, and you worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that, make, that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's a strong reminder. Moses isn't just saying, think about it, maybe pray about it, you know, and if you want to follow God, sounds good. You know, we're happy for you. No, he's, he's saying very clearly, if you walk away from God, problems are going to happen. There's going to be difficulty and destruction. And the reason for that is if God in his essence is good and perfect and the author of life, if you run away from goodness, you're running away towards evil. And if you run away from life, you're running towards death. So when we move away from God, we are running not just towards an aimless direction that is to its own end that might end up good or bad, but instead the end of our road when it's away from God always leads to despair and difficulty and pain. And that's what Moses is highlighting to Israel. And every time in Israel's history, when you see they, they abandon God for a certain amount of time, it always brings about defeat, it always brings about devastation, and it always brings about destruction in those situations. And yet when they follow after God, we see that they are able to walk in faithfulness and be blessed for it. And yet this applies to us today as well, because we're not living in the nation state of Israel. We're here in New Jersey, it's about the same size, but it's in an entirely different context. Not the same situation. And yet there is still a need for us to remember God in our current circumstances as well. Because if we forget about God, he does not forget about us. And when we stand before God one day, we're all finite beings. At the end of our time, we're all going to stand before God one day. And if we a lot of times think that we're going to stand before God based off of our own morals and our own ability and how righteous we think we are according to ourselves. But if we are imperfect people, we can't trust our own standard of morality. We can't trust our standard of right and wrong. And in Romans 3, it says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin, so that we might realize that we are sinful, not so that we might look at the law and say, I got it all perfect, I'm good, I'm able to live my life perfectly. But when we read God's law and we're able to understand it, we should have a hesitancy to acknowledge ourselves as righteous before God, because the law reveals our own sin and our own imperfections. And the reason for that is not to just beat us down and to make us feel bad, but it is to push us to focus on God and to let us know that there is hope for us. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that when we look at God's law, we're able to look and realize that we're imperfect and that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We're all imperfect. And yet, as you continue on, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, meaning that there is a consequence for sin, and that means that there is a death that we will have to die because of our sin. There will be a judgment for our sin. And yet, God didn't stop there. He instead saw our circumstances, saw that we were imperfect, saw that we were in need of assistance, and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the sins that you and I wouldn't be able to pay so that we might be forgiven. 
And the way that this forgiveness is credited to us is by belief in Jesus. It's not by following the law so perfectly, because none of us could do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. No one can do it perfectly. But Jesus did. And he lived his life so that he might give it as a ransom for many. So that when we put our belief and our trust in Jesus, his perfection and his righteousness is accredited to us. And he takes our sin and our brokenness and our imperfection. So that when we stand before God one day, it's not going to be, look at how great or not great I am. It's going to be that we stand with Christ, forgiven, because of our faith in him. The question for us today is whether or not we are remembering God. Are we remembering God or are we forgetting God in our circumstances? Are we remembering our present calling as Christians to keep his commandments and to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and not just part of it sometimes or at certain contexts in life? Are we remembering the great commission that we have, that we have been given the good news of Jesus Christ to take and to share with a world that is lost in darkness apart from Christ? Are we remembering the great ambition that we have to look to glorify God above all? Because if we look to glorify ourselves, there is imperfection in us and there is nothing in our lives that is worthy of praise. Only God is worthy of praise and of glory in our lives. Are we looking to remember God's past faithfulness in our lives? Are we looking to remember the way that God has saved us, has called us if we're Christians, and is able to still provide for us in our lives today and has not abandoned us or has just given us salvation and nothing else? Are we remembering the fact that God has a future goal for us, that he will give blessing to those who have been faithful to him, or are we forgiving these things? Are we remembering him, or are we just forgetting how obedience to God necessitates remembering him and not forgetting about him? Are we remembering the dangerous deficiencies of self-sufficiency, or are we trying to get through life on our own abilities? Because one day, friend, your own strength, your own ability will run out. And you will need a greater help and a greater rock and a greater foundation. And lastly, are we remembering the destiny of the forgetful? And are we looking to tell a world in disobedience of a God who has not forgotten them? Or are we hoarding the gospel to ourselves and not sharing it with others? Are we remembering to obey? Let's pray that we do so. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have given to us. We pray that you would allow us to apply and to live out in obedience uh, the word of truth that you have given to us, Lord. Thank you, God, for the fact that we have not just the New Testament but the Old, that we're able to look back at Israel's history and learn things about you and live how we're supposed to live and understand how we're supposed to walk in faithfulness before you. And God, I pray, would you help us to do so, Lord, because we all walk in disobedience at times, and Lord, your grace is able to cover us and to forgive us. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts to be faithful to you and would you give us minds to remember you and not to forget you in our circumstances, that we wouldn't go through life relying on ourselves and relying on you and thinking that we are the ones that have blessed ourselves and have given ourselves everything, but that we would remember that you are the one who gives us every good and perfect gift and you are the one who, at the end of the day, deserves all glory and praise. And would you help us to not be a people that say, just come come and see us, but we would go and tell others of the good news of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.